Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 23-year breast cancer survivor, a certified life coach, and the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. And Sharon, that book is going to be available on through Amazon once, yes, it's, once yes, it's done? Very okay, soon. And Probably hopefully... by September. Yes, I'm excited. Oh, September. Awesome. Well, I know it's getting awfully close, so that's great. And my name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time survivor. In fact, this month, it was, was, my, it was 21 years ago this month I was diagnosed the first time. I'm also yeah. a professional speaker, and I have a book called The Hat That Saved My Life. And just to let you know that my book is available through Kindle, and you don't even have to have a a Kindle device. You can download the free app on any device you want. So anyway, you can do that, and you can also read a chapter for free on my website at beckyolson.com. Sharon and I are also the co-founders of Breast Friends, and today we have a really spectacular guest. This is a subject that is long overdue on our radio show. So our guest today is Dr. Elisa Burgess, and she's a plastic surgeon here in the Portland area. She is very well known and very well respected. Um, and she's going to share with us the various options for reconstruction and issues and things and all those wonderful topics that come up with, uh, with any patient that's going through cancer. So welcome, Dr. Burgess. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, we're happy. So why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to our audience, let, let them know a little bit about your practice and how you decided to get into this as your specialty. I am a classically trained cosmetic and reconstructive plastic surgeon, and that means I can operate from the toes to the nose. I've been <laughs> in practice for about 16 years in the Portland metropolitan area. And the first time I really thought about breast cancer reconstruction was during my residency. So I trained in general surgery and board certified in that as well. So I did mastectomies and lumpectomies and things like that during my general surgery training. But as I transitioned to plastic surgery, then I really got to see the other aspect of it. And that was the reconstructive part. And that really drew me in. You know, it's such an important piece of this because when, you know, as as patients and survivors, when we go through this this whole ordeal, so much changes, you know, in our, our lives and having people, you know, that we can talk to very openly and clearly about this is is really a blessing. And you are definitely one of those people. I've I've met many of your patients. I've you know, we're kind of proud of this work that gets done. And so I've seen a lot of your handiwork and you're, you're quite talented, my, my friend. Oh, so. thank you. <laughs> oh, well, it's my pleasure. So why don't we just kind of jump right in because we've got a, this is a full topic today. Let's talk about starting out with some of the more common types of reconstruction, if, you know, anything from implants to flaps. And why don't we start there? And then maybe later on in the show, we'll get to some of the new, the newer techniques, because there's a lot coming up on the horizon and things that are being done now. So let's, let's start with the common types of reconstruction, maybe explain what they are. And, and then we'll kind of go into the decisions okay. around that. Okay. Well, there's definitely been an evolution in reconstruction since I started practice 16 years ago. When I first started practice 16 years ago, we were basically putting implants in just underneath the pectoralis muscle or that muscle that sits on top of your chest. 
And the implants that we had at that time were just saline and silicone. But it was a staged process where we would put in an expander, which is kind of like a space saver at the time of mastectomy, and then we do another surgery to put in an implant. Um, and so that's kind of one category. And really the majority of women in the United States usually go for some type of implant reconstruction. The second category of reconstruction is really flaps. And that's when we start talking about kind of moving uh, muscle or moving tissue in order to recreate a breast. Oftentimes that's for patients that have had prior radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was my situation. You know, I had radiation prior to ever having, we tried implants. And to your point, I think a lot of people do because it is probably the least invasive thing you can do. Yeah. If they don't work out, you just remove them and right. you're kind of back to square one. So, but it is tougher with radiation, you know, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. I have to share a little quick story. When I, it was kind of, I think might have even been the first time I met you. Um, you were doing a presentation at this event and I was following you. So I was in the room when you were talking about the importance of tattoos, you know, the nipple oh. tattoos. And, and I didn't have nipple tattoos. I had implants with, that were very difficult because I had so much radiation. And you were talking about tattoos and I thought, oh, that could solve my problem. I'll just get headlights and no one will see these scars. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good and very powerful presentation that you gave. And and then I actually made an appointment to come and see you and talk about my nipple tattoos. And we kind of decided that it would, wouldn't work for me because of all the radiation damage. But why don't you talk about that for a minute? You know, what does that entail? And, yeah. you know, well, for some women, when they have a mastectomy, that means the nipples are removed as well. That's kind of like mm-hmm. a standard mastectomy. When the nipples are removed, then it's nice to be able to do some type of nipple reconstruction, and oftentimes we add tattooing on top of it, or sometimes people mm-hmm. just do the tattooing alone. I happen to think that having some type of nipple, the appearance of a nipple, is really critical because when you do a breast reconstruction and there's no nipple, you, it's basically just kind of a breast mound, and mm-hmm. your eye notices if you're missing something. So when you get out of the shower every day and you see a breast mound, but the nipple's missing, your mind thinks, oh, there's something, something amiss here. And so when you put on the nipple, it's like the icing on the cake, and People notice when you're missing a finger, missing an eye, missing a nipple. So once you put the nipple on, then I think the breast reconstruction is truly complete. You can reconstruct the nipple making um, a, a little flap or graft right locally in a skin graft. And some of my patients do that just to have a little bit of projection to the nipple, and then they mm-hmm. go on and have it tattooed. There are other of my patients that just prefer to have that tattooing. And that can be done in Portland. Um, Some of the plastic surgeons do it or have people in their office do it. Most of us now refer um, out for uh, 3D tattooing. I've seen some amazing 3D tattoo artists where they can really make something flat look like it has dimension and depth um, to the the nipple or complex. And they really look amazing. That's great. They sure do. So on the grafting, going back to that for just a moment, where do they graft from and how does that process work? Well, each plastic surgeon has a different way of doing a nipple areola reconstruction. And that's the areola is a pigmented part around the central nipple. Um, I 
prefer to take uh, make the flap. Um, I actually call it a skate flap, and a skate is that um, marine animal, and it has looks like it has big wings. But that's kind of the shape of the flap, and then we contour it and shape it into a nipple. And then where the skin is removed, we have to replace it. So that skin can be taken from sometimes a little space underneath the arm where there's excess tissue. You know, girls have that bra roll kind of fat area. (laughs) Sometimes we take it from other parts of the body as well. So it just really depends on the patient's anatomy and their personal goals. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That makes sense. Yeah. I know, I, back to back to the nipple in general, just that look. Um, I know <clears throat> since you've said that and, and it made so much sense, those are those kinds of <clears throat> little tidbits that we can pass on to patients and talk to them about, you know, um, instead of looking in the mirror and just seeing the scars, they, like you said, they can see then a breast. And that makes yeah. so much difference on their I psyche. I think it kind of closes the chapter. And I think when you have a breast cancer diagnosis and you're in the trenches and you're going through chemo and radiation, eventually you're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you need to kind of put it on the back burner and get on with your life. And I think when you finish the reconstruction and you finish the nipple, you look at yourself in the mirror and you can kind of put it on the back table. Not that you're ignoring it, but I think it's okay to move on. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a really and great I, way. That's a great way to look at it. Many want sure. to move on really badly, <laughs> but don't really know how to do it. And that's why I wrote my book, because <laughs> that is part of the problem of, mm-hmm. you know, just getting on with life after you've gone through a year or more of kind of, you know, ups and downs and you know, grieving and, oh, yes, it's hard so much. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, it, when, you, when you're talking yeah. about um, making a decision, I know everybody is so different. Um, so let's talk about some of the things that maybe make a difference in that decision, um, you know, like body type or, you know, those kinds of things. Well, it's... It's a complicated equation, but I see women in my practice that have breast cancer in their 20s to sometimes their 80s. That's a broad spectrum of bodies, meaning Mm -hmm. you can have younger tissue, older skin, thicker people, thinner people, people with nipples down to their belly buttons and nipples that are real (laughs) high. Also, when we see people... A 42 long? Yeah. <laughs> and I can relate to that because mine went from headlights in my youth to fog lights as I aged. So That's right. Yeah. It's, so I get uh, that. it's tricky. And, you know, people think that the breath that they have in their 30s or 40s are what they're going to have forever, but it's just not like that. Right. And um, so we see all different types of body types. And so we have to kind of tailor what we do based on that. But really the primary goal is to kill the breast cancer. So you need to talk with your breast cancer surgeon and make good educated uh, decisions if you're under, going to undergo lumpectomy and radiation or mastectomy. And where I come into play is really when you undergo mastectomy. And then we have you have to decide, are you going to undergo mastectomy on one side, or is it indicated to have both breasts removed? Because those decisions kind of change the reconstruction as well. 
for example, a woman that is older will have a really mature breast, more of like a, a slope, you know. And so if you put a reconstruction on one side that's kind of a little perkier and then you try to match it to the other side, which is a mature breast, it's difficult. Um, sometimes we can put an implant on the other side. Sometimes we need to do a breast lift or reduction. But that symmetry from a natural breast to a reconstructed breast is probably one of the most difficult things that we do. But that's a good yeah. example of body type and how we're trying to match things. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense because, again, you know, making sure that that woman's expectations are really um, accurate. Um, like you said, they're they're not going to have you know twenty year old breasts, um, right? <laughs> and and you know trying to match the two, I can imagine would be really tough. I mean, I deal with that when I'm trying to um, fit a a bra with a prosthesis, you know, and you have one natural breast left, and you're trying to match the two with a prosthesis. And again, you know, it's not a perfect science, but with a little trial and error, I can do that. But unfortunately, with, with you know, when you're dealing with um, sutures and scalpels and <laughs> medical tools, I can imagine that can be very, very, you know, um, tough for sure. Well, the hardest thing is the realistic expectations because I cannot create the exact breast that was removed. We can no. do, I think, a really good job, especially with some of our newer tools in our chest, but um, the new breast just has a different shape to it. The one part that I would love to recreate in the future is what I call the conus of the breast. So when we put in a breast implant, sometimes we have a little bit more upper pole fullness and we have some kind of fullness where the breast is, but that little part like, is right underneath the natural nipple, I call mm-hmm. that the conus. And that part is the part we really haven't figured out how to recreate and oh, that's gosh. the part sometimes that women miss because they put on a bra and they feel like it's empty and it's empty kind of right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And again, when you're when you're talking about making decisions like um can you do a nipple sparing um mastectomy, um that depends on the severity um or the maybe even the type of uh, breast cancer. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because I know it's a wonderful option if you're a good candidate, but again, you're not always a good candidate, right? Right. So maybe just to backtrack, let's talk about the different types of mastectomies and the decision is between the patient and the breast cancer surgeon and then kind of involving the reconstructive surgeon. So there's kind of a standard, or we call the modified radical mastectomy or mastectomy, and that is where it would be for a bigger-breasted girl, like a really big-breasted girl, and you would want to remove quite a bit of skin, the nipple, and the breast tissue. Then there's a medium-sized girl, and you would want to do a skin-sparing mastectomy, and that means you would want to save as much skin as possible because, remember, usually the skin doesn't have the breast cancer in it. Then, for even a smaller-breasted girl, sometimes we can do a nipple-sparing mastectomy, meaning that you can save the nipple and save a lot of the skin as well and do a reconstruction. So sometimes if the tumor is right underneath the nipple, you can't do a nipple-sparing mastectomy. 
Sometimes, if it's a big tumor, you can't do a nipple-sparing mastectomy. Sometimes, if, you, if you're too big-breasted or have too much breast kind of hang or what we call ptosis, um, then you can't do a nipple-sparing mastectomy. So there are cancer reasons you cannot do a nipple-sparing mastectomy, and there are reconstructive reasons you can't do, but there's sometimes this perfect candidate, and you can do the nipple-sparing mastectomy But you should keep in mind that when you do a nipple-sparing mastectomy, there's still just a little tidbit of breast in the nipple. And it's usually easy to monitor. It's unlikely to develop breast cancer in the future, but it's really important for women to know that. Plus, Mm -hmm. when you leave the nipple behind, it has no feeling and no erectile function. So right. it still right. doesn't, so it doesn't, doesn't work function like it does, even though it's sitting cold, there. It's really there for cosmetic purposes. Yeah, it's, when you get cold, yeah. it okay. won't, you know, get erect. Nobody knows this. Okay. So, right. um, you know what, Dr. Burgess, we actually have to go out on a break. Okay. So we're, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back. Don't go away because we've got great information still coming up. Stay with okay. us. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our Women's Cancer Program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about breast reconstruction options with our guest, Dr. Elisa Burgess. So, Dr. Burgess, we were talking about nipple sparing um, on the first uh, segment. And so let's kind of finish about that because I know sometimes you can have problems with that 
um, nipple, right? Yeah. So it's always possible the nipple may not survive because of poor blood supply. So when you do mastectomy, you're removing all the good blood supply to the nipple plus all the nerve or sensation to the nipple. So oftentimes the nipple does um, survive, but if it doesn't, it's always possible we might have to excise or remove it. Nowadays, we have some newer technology. Um, There's SPY, SPY, SPY technology and other technology where we can actually look at the blood supply real time during surgery and decide how to proceed or if the nipple looks good. So there's some newer things that we can do as well. Well, that's and good to I, know. I have one other question about what we talked about before. You were talking about the getting the shape of the breast under the nipple, that part. I don't know what you uh-huh. called it. Um, but is that mostly uh, when you use implants, or is that also with flaps? A little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, mostly with implants. Flaps, you probably have a little bit better, but it's that last little conus. I don't know how to explain it. It's that okay. little bit of... It's a curve, kind of, right, that you're yeah. looking for? Yeah, it's a curve. Yeah. It's just that extra tissue that fills out your bra that's right underneath the nipple. Yeah, yep. yeah it makes no, sense. No, it's important. I, I know I know the part you're talking about. I did not know what you called it, so that's no, good. Well, and I don't absolutely. know if that's a technical term. That's what I've come up with um, in my practice, but it just I'm always trying to figure out how do I make that better. <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, and <laughs> so good at what you do. <laughs> exactly. And most of uh, of plastic surgeons tend to be really, really perfectionists and they're very creative and they're very um, precise. You know, they really worry about all these little details, which is amazing because then yeah. we have better results, which is great. Yeah. Very so true. Yeah. Great. Well, and it's a culmination of years of experience. And there are lots of really good plastic surgeons in the Portland area. There are some magnificent ones here. So, you know, I don't want for people to feel like they have to fly out of town, you know, to go see somebody because we have some really amazing plastic surgeons here in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we absolutely. We Definitely. really do. So I know one of the big differences um, that we, that, because I had actually augmented breasts back when I was 24 years old. And I had saline back then, but I know a lot of people had silicone. And then there was this big, you know, mess about the silicone. So let's talk about that and kind of get the elephant out of the room and say, tell me what the difference is between saline and silicone and why you use them in different circumstances. So for the past 16 years, I primarily used saline or silicone, and the saline or saltwater implants, they have an outer silicone shell on the inside is saline or saltwater, and if you get a leak, it just goes flat. Uh, with silicone, you may not know that you have a leak, and it's not you know, known to cause you health problems, but you would want to remove and replace it. So they've done very extensive studies on thousands of females and thought that they're not, you're not at increased risk for autoimmune system disease or other things with silicone. That's really kind of like historically where things have gone. And then, um, so they temporarily took silicone off um, in uh, many, many years ago off the market. We never stopped using them for reconstruction or for some cosmetic cases. And then once uh, the FDA did their due diligence, they brought them back on. And that was primarily for fourth-generation silicone implants. Keep in mind there's been first, second, third, fourth-generation, and now we're currently on fifth-generation implants, wow. which are cohesive gummy bear uh, implants. <laughs> And those are amazing implants as well. So that's kind of the main difference between saline and silicone. And it's unclear how long breast implants will last. 
Um, it could be five years, ten years. It could be thirty years. Currently, oh, the really? FDA, yeah, currently huh? uh, the FDA recommends that you get a breast MRI, not a mammogram, but an MRI every couple of years, looking for a silent leak. But we've been getting so many normal MRIs that many of my patients have elected to get an MRI about every five years. Now, with okay. the newer cohesive gel or gummy bear implants, they're so cross-linked that the leak rate or the rupture rate is thought to be a little less. Oh, that's okay. wonderful. Well, that Let sense. me ask you about radiation and the impact on that because, you know, when I, I had, I didn't do implants right away because my first time around I had a lumpectomy on the right side with um, a lot of radiation and chemo. And yeah. it was eight years later when I found cancer on the other side and I thought, you know, I don't want to play this game anymore. So I had sure. both breasts removed and then I went through um, chemo during that time and we waited a year to do implants um, just because we you wanted to see how the you know the radiated side healed you know after having it removed eight years later and he didn't promise me the moon which was good he was very realistic about the potential outcome and and it was difficult the radiated side did not um, push out like the other side could. So he said I could be whatever size I want on the left, but I would I was limited on the right. Well, I wasn't interested in that uniboob look, so I decided <laughs> yeah. to keep them both kind of small, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but over time, and then I ended up having, five years later, I had to have the left side radiated through the implant. And then over time, they both just became so hard, and um, I forget that word that you call it. Encapsulated. Capsular contracture. Yeah, capsular contracture. Yes. So it got really, they both got really hard and they started to slip a little bit because I just didn't have what I needed to hold them in. So for a radiated patient, and again, he didn't promise me the moon, which was great because I, if he would have said, oh, this is going to be a beautiful outcome. He said, you know what? I don't, I can't promise how it's going to look, but I'll give it my best shot. And it was tough. So do you find that's common with radiated patients? What, what's, What's yeah, your take on that? you know, radiation saves lives, and I love my radiation um, colleagues, but it definitely changes your tissue forever, yeah. and it can cause more encapsulation or scar tissue around an implant, but the radiation kind of shrinks the skin, and it kind of shrinks the fat, and it kind of shrinks the muscle. So if a woman is at a prior lumpectomy and radiation, but still looks like she has some fairly soft tissue and then decides to undergo mastectomy, sometimes we can put a tissue expander in there, um, especially if we use some, um, it's called an ADM or a cellular dermal matrix, things like Alloderm or things like, you know, other products. Mm-hmm. Once the muscle's been radiated, it's pretty firm, but if you can uh, figure out a way to extend the muscle with another product, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have a pocket that you can okay. put it under. But Is that relatively a, new? Mm, I've been to- using uh, ADMs, um, a cellular dermal matrices, for about 10 years. So it's okay. been a while. Yeah, but um, if a woman has had prior mastectomy and then radiation or, you know, radiation anytime around there, now those layers of scarring and radiation make it really difficult. You really just can't put in an expander or an implant. It just doesn't want to stretch out, and that's when we start thinking about doing flaps and bringing in fresh tissue from another part of your body. 
And that's yeah. basically what I did. I ended up taking the implants out, and then I did the deep flap procedure, which I know we haven't really talked about, but it's not really moving the muscle. Um, it's moving yeah. the, yeah, the right. tissue from my Fats. abdominal area. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to call it fat, but that's basically what it is. And yeah. microsurgically <laughs> moving it from down below to up above. And, um, and, and that was a huge process. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, so I don't have a lot of experience with deep flaps. They're, it's called a DIEP flap or a deep inferior epigastric perforating flap. But um, they're, um, in the 1980s, they started tram flaps, and that's kind of harvesting muscle from the abdomen, flipping it up to create a breast, and it's still kind of attached to the muscle. And then they moved to muscle sparing, meaning that they would totally take off the um, the the tissue, the fat in the skin, and then leave just a few uh, and leave most of the muscle behind. And then they decided, well, let's just only take the tissue and the skin and just a few little blood vessels, and that's called the DIEP flap, DIEP flap or the deep flap. So you're taking everything off and then you're sewing it in using a microscope. Those can be very, very long surgeries. And you have um, basically a harvest site that has to heal plus the surgical site where you're putting it. So they're really big, big surgeries. And I think we really kind of guide people to those surgeries if you've had prior mastectomy and radiation. But there are some women that go to that surgery directly as well. They have to be a good candidate, and I highly recommend they go to somebody that has a lot of experience and, Mm -hmm. of course, board certified with the American Board of Plastic Surgery. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that was the procedure I ended up going with, and it was 12 hours with two physicians yeah. yeah, so a total of 24 physician hours, basically, and, yeah. uh, you know, a whole team, and I was in intensive care for at least a day, and then in the hospital for about four or five, so it's a big deal, it's not, it is a big deal, yeah, it's not an implant, they do it, and then send you home a couple of days later, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's pretty well, and big, you had to, but... you had to sleep on a lounge chair for I six did, weeks or something, didn't you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't because want they don't, you know, <laughs> they don't want you to roll over, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. there, it's, it's, it is um, na- more natural because it's your your own body tissue and and yeah, fat, but and you have cleavage and all right. that. Right, you know, so. there's some definite um, uh, advantages, but woo, getting but through it, that yeah. surgery and and the and the healing process yeah. is a is a doozy too, though. Yeah, and I had some I had some problems that you know with the healing on it, and it's not anything the doctor did wrong. It was what it's just the way my body heals. So, you know, it's it's not to be taken lightly. And when they mm-hmm. say, well, you get a tummy tuck. And new boobs. Well, the tummy tuck is gives you a scar hip to hip, and it takes yeah. a long time to heal. And the breasts, I can't feel a thing. You know, they do reconnect right. the blood supply, but they don't reconnect the nerves. So I can feel nothing in them. But they yeah. do bounce, and they look pretty good in a bra. You know? Right. Yeah, so and you know, our goal things. as reconstructive surgeons is to make you look good in clothing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that, I, I kind of call them placeholders. You know, I mean, when especially with implants, you know, God love them. I mean, they're wonderful, but I had trouble with mine too. I, they got encapsulated and got hard as rocks. And, and then I had um, uh, them replaced. Well, actually, that's not even true. Um, I had one decide to go south and <laughs> it, it sprung a leak. And so I've basically had... Um, 
my implants left in there and I wear prosthesis now for, and I have for many years thinking, oh, there's never a good time to go have surgery again, but we call them boobs in a box. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, you know, so, so again, you know, the, the thought of going through surgery, because there's always risks involved in, in doing surgery of any sort, you know, you you always have to think of those things and, you know, the healing process and all of that. So, um, and speaking of that, I know the drains, the drains, are kind of those <laughs> those things I remember um, when I had my surgeries. Um, can you explain what the drains are for and wh- you know why they're important? Yeah, the drains evacuate the old blood and fluid, and they're usually in a week to a couple weeks, and they have to drop drop down to a certain minimum amount before we can remove them. And sometimes people can develop a seroma or a fluid collection even after you remove them because your body has to absorb all that fluid, you know, that surgical mm-hmm. fluid. So the drains are um, a pain, but they're really important, and if you don't put them in, then you really swell. Yeah, so, definitely. you know, the risks of, of surgery are, you know, seroma or fluid collection, possible infection. Radiation always increases your risk. Diabetes mm-hmm. increases your risk. Mm-hmm. Really advanced age, other health issues, heart issues. So there's a lot of, yeah. you know, potential risks. So we really try to help guide people and make sure that they're choosing, you know, to have this surgery and that they are a reasonable surgical risk. But the majority of people that have reconstructive surgery actually do pretty well because our surgeries are faster, better. Um, I think people actually do much better than even when I started 16 years ago. Good. You know, people ask us all the time what what they should do. What do you think? What should I do? Should I do this or should I do that? You know, we can tell them what the different types of surgeries are. But when it comes to, and for all of our listeners, when it comes to the final decision, first off, it needs to be your decision. But secondly, it needs to be your educated decision based on conversations with your doctor. Because, you know, if you have any of those conditions, if you are diabetic, if you... You know, it just, there's so many things that go into it that you really need to talk to your doctor. Yeah, very, very thoroughly about that conversation and then make your decision, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's it's pretty important. You know, the other thing with surgical drains, if you do get them out too soon or like you said, the fluid continues to collect, it sometimes will find a way out and it will come out through the path of least resistance. And in my case, it actually ripped open the surgical site and continued to drain on its own. And then that involved to having to go back in and get cleaned up again. So, you know, they are important and don't push it. I mean, just, just hang in there and don't, it's really tempting to say, can we just take it out now? I mean, we're so close. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's a process. You really have to buy into the fact that this is not just a simple thing. It's, it's, it's a process, but I think if you can, Go with the flow, you know, then even you'll do really well. Yeah. You know, we are going to run out of time here in a couple minutes. So why don't we just really quickly talk about the how long is recovery on the different types of surgery? You know, how much time do you need to take off from work or avoid doing, you know, gardening? So can you speak to that yeah. just real briefly? Well, it depends on what type of surgery you have. For um, implant kind of surgery, then um, usually it's about two to three weeks off of work. For something like a deep flap, it's a lot longer. It could be like six to eight, eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are doing more direct to implant, meaning for some people with the perfect anatomy that we might want to um, put the uh, final implant in and avoid the expander. So sometimes those people are kind of 
back, you know, to work earlier. And we're also starting to do prepectoral, uh, meaning implants on top of the muscle, totally wrapped by that ADM. And so you're oh, not cool. moving that muscle. And so women um, don't have as much pain and are kind of back to work earlier. But, again, those are in specific instances where patients are like the perfect candidate. Good. Mm-hmm. All right. Sense. Well, we're going we're gonna to take another quick break here. So when we come back, there's still a little bit more on this kind of conversation. We can talk about weight changes and aging. You know, once you get your reconstruction, all that is going to have an impact. Um, and let's, we'll have Dr. Burgess explain that. So we are going to take a short, quick break. And, um, yeah, so if you have any questions and you're listening to us live, can't do this if you're in the archives, but our number is 866-472-5792. We have one segment left with Dr. Burgess. So hang tight. We'll be back in just a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our Women's Cancer Program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for coming back with us. Uh, We've been talking about breast reconstruction options with our guest, Dr. Burgess. And um, I think we were going to talk about um, the the effect of aging and weight gain and things like that, or weight loss even, um, on our different types of reconstruction options. Dr. Burgess, what do you think? Um, unfortunately, I haven't figured out the minus 10 button on my iPhone for, you know, taking off <laughs> 10 years off your uh, photos. But, <laughs> but 
But really? aging def- <laughs> definitely does uh, change. Your uh, skin all over your body tends to be a little bit looser, and that includes that uh, which is on your chest or your breast area. So if you gain weight or lose weight around an implant, um, it can make it um, more visible. So if you lose weight, you um, your breast tissue or mastectomy flaps have some fat, and if you lose weight, that, that tissue gets thinner so the implant can become more visible. If you gain weight, then the implant may be less visible. Um, and, and sometimes we actually do some fat grafting around the implant to kind of disguise it so we can harvest some fat from the lower abdomen and actually put it around the implant, kind of disguising it a little bit more. So as you make those weight fluctuations, it can change that a little bit. Now, if you have a flap, like a deep flap or a tram flap or something like that, and you gain weight or lose weight, that actually gains weight in your in your reconstructed breast as well. So even though that tissue is from the tummy and you've kind of transplanted it up to the breast area, if you gain weight, you'll have more uh, fatty tissue in the breast area as well. So it's not the reconstruction that we put in um, on, you know, when you're all done, it will continue to change. And basically the implant never really changes, but it's all the tissue around that can change through the years. And when I was when I was radiated because of the radiation, everything was so tight that boy, I'll tell you. And I kind of mentioned this during the break. When I gained weight after my implant, my chest stayed exactly the same size. I just fluffed up all the way around. <laughs> it yeah, was pretty, yeah, pretty silly looking, but um, but you know, it was kind of funny. Real quick, when I talked to my doctor about the deep flap, and I um, I said, well, hey, I'm going to lose about you know, 10 pounds. He goes, no, I'm just going to move it from here to there. So no, you're not going to yeah. lose anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Darn oh, it. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> nice idea, though, while it lasted. So anyway, um, so Sharon, I think you had some questions about re- about uh, the federal law. and, and Well, yeah, and about insurance. You know, I think that's a biggie. Um, does Does your insurance cover all of our options here? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Women's Health Care and Cancer Right Act was in 1998, and basically this um, is a federal law that states that if your insurance company pays for a mastectomy by law, they have to pay for reconstruction. And that means reconstruction to that one side or if you need to have um, a breast lift or reduction to the other side to create some symmetry. And it also includes nipples as well. So there is some, you know, protection uh, for women. We still have to negotiate and appeal and do various things, especially for some little revision surgeries with the insurance companies. But there is a federal law, and that is really helpful um, that we can use to advocate for our patients. You know, that was, that's, that was such a great thing because the very first person I ever knew that had breast cancer was down in Medford, and it was many years ago. And she had her breast removed through her insurance company, but when she wanted to have, the, have it reconstructed, she had to fight with them because they said it was cosmetic. And yeah, it's not. It's not, but it took, it took somebody actively fighting, you know, with Congress, basically, to get that law passed. So yeah, it yeah, really definitely. was a huge huge boost for women now if you're if you're on medicare or medicaid uh does it work the same way yeah medicare is pretty good about breast cancer reconstruction they don't pre-authorize but they've been fairly good about um about it the um like Oregon Health Plan and other things like that, they have some, they're not a true insurance company, so right. they're able to sidestep some things. 
So yeah. it's a it's definitely more of a challenge. Yeah, yeah that's I can for imagine sure. that would be. Yeah. Okay. Well, what else have we not talked about here? Let's see. We've got we've talked a little bit about the symmetry piece of it, and yeah. and so for instance, um, if you have a uh, reconstruction on one side and it's much smaller than the other side, your natural breast, then again, your insurance company should pay for a lift or a reduction or you know something like that on on the uh, natural side. Is that right? That's true. And um, nowadays, we're also doing some fat grafting around the implant. So you can reduce the one side that doesn't have the cancer to a breast reduction. But sometimes we can add an implant plus add a little bit of fat around to try to create better symmetry or equalness, you know, to the breast. So there's a lot of things that we can do to try to create some symmetry. The insurance companies have not been as kind to us for the fat grafting, but it's an amazing adjunct and can really disguise an implant. It's particularly helpful for patients that have had some prior radiation. There's something about the fat grafting that actually makes the radiated tissue softer, more supple. There's some magic really in fat grafting, and I just think the insurance companies are slow to recognize it. So it's still relatively new, though, in the big, in the big picture, right? I've, I've been doing fat grafting now for probably like eight years or so. Okay. Um, okay. So it's not relatively new, but they're, I just think the insurance companies are behind yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes what sense. about what about prepectoral breast reconstruction? I've been hearing about that. I didn't know what it was called until you told me. But why don't you explain to our listeners what that is? Because that sounds like an amazing solution for some yeah. people. So. so it's it's pre, so that people understand that word P R E. Pectoral means that pectoralis muscle that's um, underneath the breast. So basically, this means that we're putting the reconstruction on top of the muscle. On top of, instead um, of behind. That's good. There have been several champions uh, for this. One is Dr. Gabriel um, in Vancouver, Washington, and there are others around the country as well. And it's a newer technique for me, but basically, you can put one of those ADMs that I mentioned before, that's the either human tissue that's had all the cellular components removed. It's all of the matrix or scaffolding that is remaining behind. Oftentimes, there's several different companies that make it. One common one is called Alloderm. But when you can take a sheet of this, it looks like just a soft, supple kind of sheet square, like the size of a piece of 8 by you know 10 paper, 8 by 11 paper, and you can wrap the entire expander or, or wrap the entire implant with it. And then oh. you can put it into the pocket where the breast used to live, into the mastectomy pocket, and that's called a prepectoral uh, reconstruction when you put it on top of the muscle. It can only mm-hmm. be done in certain you know, patients, it's highly selected, and we want to make sure the blood supply is good, you know, to the, mm-hmm. to the tissue over the top. But the nice thing about it is that you um, don't have to move the muscles, so I think, again, it's a little bit less painful. It can be a little higher risk for seroma or for fluid collection, but the breast position and the look, I think, can be very nice, especially if you add a shaped or anatomic kind of teardrop implant uh, ultimately mm-hmm. with it as well. So, that's awesome. Um, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's called a prepectoral, and it's that kind of a technical, you know, term that us, 
you know, doctors might use, but it's basically putting the reconstruction on top of the implant versus under. Okay. I love the way you describe things, Dr. Burgess. You know, you make it very plain and simple for all of us, not talk talk doctorese. <laughs> well, except when she explained what a deep flap, the term deep flap, it's like, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's a long I word, had one and I don't know what it means. <laughs> it's like, whoa. It's a big, long phrase. I yeah, think it's yeah. easier just to say deep, but sometimes people think it's D-E-E-P and it's not that. So that's why I kind of, you know, throughout the lingo, but it's just a, it's just an acronym or just a short phrase for what it stands for. Well, so I, we only have about, a, yeah, we oh, only I, have a few minutes left. So, um, so we, we do want to find out or just to reaffirm what are the first steps in making the decision to get breast reconstruction? And we assume it's talking to the doctor, but why don't yes. you? So hopefully your breast surgeon who does the breast cancer surgery will discuss it. Sometimes we find in the smaller communities, it's not brought up as often. And you can do immediate reconstruction at the time of the mastectomy or delayed reconstruction any time thereafter. It could be three months, six months, ten years later. So reconstruction is always an option. So hopefully your mastectomy surgeon will bring it up and then refer you to somebody that does a fair amount of breast cancer um, reconstruction. So that's kind of the first step. There are also different websites and things like that. We have BurgessBreastRecon.com website, and that's just totally um, dedicated to breast cancer reconstruction. We have a cosmetic website as well, but we felt it was important to have the reconstructive um, one. So, uh, But there are, as I said, many good plastic surgeons um, in Portland, and they're all very gifted. Now, I, I have heard of scenarios where the plastic surgeon and the breast uh, cancer surgeon will work together on the same patient at the same time in the in the uh, surgical room is that common or is that time we do that all the time so the breast cancer surgeon might remove one breast and then that's when I come in and I can work on that side because the mastectomy is complete and then he or she will move to the other breast to do the mastectomy on that side. And so at that time, that's when we're doing, um, we're working simultaneously. And it decreases the time in the operating room for the patient and the outcomes I think are really good, especially when you work with somebody on a regular basis. Like I know when I work with certain people that the mastectomy flaps are great, things are going to be look good, there's a very predictable mm-hmm. outcome. You know, sometimes people think mastectomy surgery is very simple, but it's it's not, especially nipple sparing. So. Mm-hmm. Make sure to go to somebody that does a fair amount of mastectomy and is really focused on breast surgery. And the other advantage to that that I can see is that with, with the plastic surgeon being in there at the same time, the surgeon who's removing the breast will probably be have some instruction where to make the cut. So it's more, no, it's easier to that's repair. Made in advance. We make that uh, discussion with the patient in advance, and sometimes okay. we alter it, uh, but it depends on tumor location, sure. type of mastectomy. Uh, the breast surgeon and I talk about it and then decide, and then sometimes we have to change the plan because we use the SPI before where we. Um, have to we look at the blood supply sometimes before we even make an incision. So there's a whole slew of decision decisions that happen before that. So yeah, well, that makes this sense. has been so great, and we we are actually kind of out of time. So um, before we run out completely, 
let, why don't you tell our, pay, our, our listeners how they can find out more about you. You did give us BurgessBreastRecon.com, so that's a source for some information. If they wanted to get a hold of your office, how would they yeah. do that? And then um, there's uh, BurgessPlasticSurgery.com. That's our cosmetic and general um, website as well. Um, our general email is consult at BurgessPlasticSurgery.com to arrange for a consult. And our phone is 503-699-6464. But more than ever, I want to tell you, Sharon and Becky, how much I love you and your organization. I've known you guys for years. My patients absolutely adore you. You have saved so many of my patients because sometimes when I see them, they're depressed and they're down and and I can take care of that physical aspect and I can help them somewhat emotionally, but they need to really reach out and talk to a peer or another mom that has three kids and they're trying to figure out exactly. how to get through chemo and childcare. Mm-hmm. So your organization does an amazing job on a grassroots level and we refer patients to you all the time. Thank you so much. Thank we appreciate you. that. You know, I was going to have to cut you off so I could say all that, but I don't need to now. <laughs> <laughs> you but did I mean it well it. for it's us. It's really <laughs> we didn't even offer to pay you for that. That was <laughs> No, I mean it. Well, Dr. I talk about you all the time. Well, and we just get a lot of calls from you, and we really appreciate it. And, you know, you've done a great job in this community as well. So thank you thank so you. much for your support. We do have to... Um, just kind of do our closing comments here. So we do want to encourage people to, if you're interested in what Breast Friends is all about, go to breastfriends.org. We do have three affiliates. We're located in Portland. We also have one in Pennsylvania and one in Florida. But we do encourage you to reach out if you need help from us. There's an 800 number listed. You're welcome to give us a call. Um, Also, if you see that big blue button at the top of the page, it says Donate. Please feel free to do that so we can keep this radio program going. So until then, we will be back next week. Remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.